listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. Well, amen, and good morning. It is good to see you this morning and to be with you and to bring the Word of God. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's just exciting to uh, continue on uh, talking about Jesus. I hope that was your expectation this morning, uh, that that's what you're going to hear about, because it's Christmas, and this is church, and it's all about Jesus always, all the time. And so we just get to emphasize that in some specific ways as we look forward to celebrating Christmas, which is such a part of our lives, our culture, our, our church history, and something you've probably all been brought up in, which does make it kind of an interesting challenge when we're sneaking up on December every year as we just try to uh, be thoughtful and and prayerful and seek the Lord as we're planning uh, what our church is going to talk about and think about, it does kind of present the challenge that this is a big part of our lives. And has probably collectively been a big part of our lives for most of our life. And so it is kind of interesting, like, um, just um, as we're, we're thinking and praying, like, okay, people know the Christmas story. Okay, what, what angle are we going to put on it uh, this year? What kind of uh, new tidbits are we going to drop in to spice it up? Uh, just to, to keep you guys engaged, that's how we kind of feel sometimes as we're thinking about planning out sermons and uh, this Christmas season, which we do love on church staff, but does always just kind of feel like, okay, uh, um, we know these stories. We've heard these stories. And uh, this morning, I'm just kind of getting a sense of um, that's, that's not really a bad thing. Because I would say just a, a big part of the Christmas season, this time of year that hits us every single year, is, is really more than anything else just a call to remember. And I think that's what we need. We, we don't necessarily need uh, something new. We're going to read passages that we've heard hundreds of times. And we're going to uh, reiterate the same truths of Jesus coming and his birth that we've heard. And I think that's just collectively what we need. We just, we just need to remember. We need to remember what God has done. And I, I think there's the added aspect of that that we all realize that also within this season, uh, there's just a lot of uh, uh, competition for our attention. And it's not negative things, it's good things, but it is competition in that uh, schedules get a little busier. Um, gatherings start to be happening more frequently. Uh, we feel that uh, pressure and ticking clock of December 5th, 25th is coming. So uh, purchasing presents and making travel plans and making sure all the things are getting wrapped up for work as we go towards the end of the year. Like it is uh, a time that is busy and those are, are good things, but they can pull our focus away from what is the best thing. And that is Jesus. And so um, I feel like that is um, uh, the call on me this morning is just to urge us uh, to remember, to um, look into the scriptures, to think about Jesus, to remember the significance of why we celebrate this holiday. And, and so along those lines, we're going to be walking through these different uh, titles that are, are given to Jesus. And we started very simply last week with just Jesus the name God has given us for his son. And that's what Mary and Joseph were told when uh, their son was coming to call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So that's where we kicked off last week. And so uh, this week we're going to uh, investigate, think about, remember 
the title that is given to our Lord and Savior of Messiah, which once again, uh, I think so often, because I've shared before, I grew up in church, uh, we kind of get used to these churchy words. And so definitely this season, like we throw that out there a lot. So I do just want to kind of call us to remember uh, what Messiah actually means, the significance of this title and what it would have meant for uh, the people at the time of Jesus's birth and what it still means for us today. So that's what I want to think about. And specifically to this title, we do kind of have to think uh, before Jesus actually came and lived on this earth. And so it is kind of interesting and significant that as we typically go through the Christmas season, there's a lot of passages within the Bible that we will read that probably have a ring of familiarity, something like, oh yeah, I've heard that one, I remember that one, uh, that predate Jesus significantly. And it's because of this idea of Messiah that God gave to his his people that they were hanging on to. And so they began to uh, search their scriptures and look at the things God had proclaimed to them and um, began to uh, hopefully be prepared for this idea that God was sending something, sending someone, going to do something significant in their world. And so I want us to take a journey this morning uh, through several passages in the book of Isaiah. So you can go ahead and turn to Isaiah. And once again, um, like I said, it'll probably have some familiarity is passages we look at a lot around Christmas. But just to kind of sprinkle this in there, uh, Isaiah, this book, um, this prophet that was speaking on behalf of God would have written these things uh, around 700 years before the actual birth of Christ. So that is significant because this idea of Messiah is um, uh, built into the scriptures and would have been uh, present within the people of Israel. Uh, this idea they've been yearning for, longing for, looking for, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus actually arrived. Because what uh, Messiah is, it's really a promise from God that they've seen touches of and pieces of throughout their history, but they're still waiting for the fulfillment of of this idea. And so let's look at some passages in Isaiah. The first one we're going to look at is in Isaiah chapter 7. So once again, uh, we're not looking at the entire book, but um, uh, God had called this man Isaiah to be his prophet. And so there's a lot of different things within the book of Isaiah, speaking to the time, speaking to the people now. But significantly, throughout his prophetic ministry, he drew out this idea of Messiah a lot, that the people of Israel uh, came around the idea that like, hey, um, this thing has not come to place. This is talking about some future promises of God. So you can look in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Um, Isaiah was telling them that there's a sign that's going to come from Yahweh, from the Lord. Uh, verse 14 says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That seems significant um, because to my knowledge, and I would you know, plant the flag here, there's only been one time ever in human history that a virgin conceived and bore a son, and it wasn't at this point 700 years prior to Christ. And so that would have been a sign that the people kind of latched onto, hey, God's going to do something significant when this event takes place, and then also gives another title, uh, he shall be called Emmanuel, which we're going to talk about that word, but you probably know from your collective Christmas history means God with us. So God's going to do something very significant. So that would have been something they began to read and to think about and talk about and wonder about of when that specifically is going to take place. It would have been become a part of their culture and the things they looked forward to. Flip over to Isaiah chapter nine, just a little bit later. 
This is what the prophet said in verse 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelled in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So once again, he kind of reiterates that uh, there is going to be this like physical birth. Something new and different is going to transpire. And he says that for to us, a child is born and a son is given. But then he says his name is going to be mighty God. And I know for those people, they would have uh, kind of clued in on like, this is something unique. This is something different. God is going to do something special and we haven't seen it yet, but we need to remember these promises that something is coming. Flip over to chapter 11 with me. Chapter 11, verse one through five says this. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So you can kind of see um, in the history of Israel these uh, prophetic words that God used the prophet Isaiah to speak that is kind of building in this idea for them to latch onto that something else is coming. And so we can continue to get these clues as to what that might look like. So we see the uh, birth of a virgin, a child that's called mighty God. And then also it kind of gives it like, Hey, he's going to be connected to King David, the root of Jesse It's dropping in all of these clues for them to remember, uh, flip all the way to Isaiah chapter 42, a little bit more distant in the book. Isaiah 42, verse 1 through 4 says this. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. 
Uh, also, if you had the opportunity, I, I had it dialed in, but I think we're going to move through it. Isaiah chapter 53. If you read Isaiah chapter 53, it is a perfect description of the life, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that was written 700 years before he was even born on this earth. And so this idea of Messiah was very important for the people of Israel because they had the holy scriptures that God had worked into their history, worked into their people. And so they knew it was a prophecy that there was this thing coming, this work that God was going to do, and they were hanging on to that promise. And so this word Messiah that we're even using is a, is a Hebrew word, and they, they read it in the little Advent reading, it means anointed one, or it means uh, someone who is set apart or chosen by God. It has this uh, special and significant connotation for a person that God is going to use for a specific way. And this is not new for the people of Israel, but it does have this um, more significant connection that God is going to do something important. But like it is already worked into their history and their understanding of God that God chooses people and sets them apart for a specific work he's going to do for them. So uh, someone being a Messiah, maybe little M, not a capital M Messiah, is not new for the people of Israel because God chose, set apart, consecrate, anointed different people throughout the Old Testament for his work. And typically it was in one of three categories. God did it with prophets. So he would uh, choose a person that was going to speak for him. And sometimes there was even a succession of, there was one prophet of Israel. If you think about like the prophet Elijah who did significant things. And then when his time was done, uh, God said, hey, there's this other prophet, Elisha. And so what did Elijah do? He went and found this person God had chosen and he anointed him. He set him apart for the work of the Lord. And so the people of Israel know that's a way God operates, that he chooses a special person, someone he is going to use significantly for his purpose. And so one of those categories was prophet, the chosen ones to speak for God. And God did these works through them. And we read a lot of their words because God used them and chose them in this way. And, and then one of the other categories is, is the priest. And so y'all know um, from the Old Testament, that idea was very significant for the people. If you think um, from the Exodus, when Mo God used Moses, another set apart person God used. And then as he was establishing his um, covenants with the people of Israel, he also chose Moses' brother Aaron, said, hey, Aaron, you're going to be a priest. You're going to work in the tabernacle. You're going to administer the sacrifices and through your line. And then he called the Levites to participate in that. He's like, hey, y'all are set apart. I'm going to do something different from you. You're going to do the work of the Lord. You're going to be consecrated. You're going to be anointed to do this specific work I've called you to do. And then the third category we get into with the people of Israel is that of king. And so when the people of Israel wanted a king and God said, I'll be your king, but they're like, no, we want a human king. God's like, okay, I'll, I'll give you your way. Uh, but then God uses that in a special and significant way. And so uh, it should bring to mind the images of King David. That God sent a prophet, he sent Samuel, go find uh, this kid who's the youngest member of his family. And uh, they didn't even get the significance of it at that time. But the prophet Samuel went and found David, who was a shepherd and attending the flocks for his family. And what did he do? He anointed him. He, he uh, set him apart of like, hey, you are a chosen one of God. God's going to do something significant through you. And so the kingship was an anointed position, uh, a messianic position that God um, has been weaving in to this culture, to this people to give them some framework and understanding of, hey, uh, these little pictures I'm giving you, they're pointing you towards a larger picture of this incredible thing I'm going to do. 
I'm going to send the Messiah. There is going to be the chosen one of God. And all these other people that I chose and used for my glory and for my good, they were to give you an image, a framework, an understanding so you could see the significance and beauty and the greatness of the true work I'm going to accomplish. That's why I love the book of Hebrews, how the author points out that all these things God did in the Old Testament, they were all a foreshadowing for something greater that was going to come in Jesus Christ. Jesus was the greater Adam, the greater Moses. Moses. He is the great high priest. He is fulfilling all those ones. He is the chosen one. It's a powerful idea. And I feel like it, it still resonates very deeply, um, even within our, our own culture and with our, even I think God's kind of baked it into our humanness. And I think it's because even still, as we look around at the world today, we can see the mess. We can see uh, the damage that is being done, the brokenness of the world around us, the, the, the chaos we feel. And we would know just kind of intrinsically that it would take someone special, something deeply unique to fix the mess. And I think that's why it's also so easy for us to begin to uh, turn towards idolatry for wanting that mess fixed, how we can elevate politics, or even sometimes we could choose uh, maybe a, a spiritual person that we admire, and we begin to put them in that place of Messiah because we want the mess to be fixed. And that would have been present with the people of Israel. They know how God has done this in the past, how he set apart Moses, how uh, King David uh, restored the kingdom for a time, for how God has chosen these people. And um, that desire for the Messiah, I'm sure, would have been very strong. And I think we still even feel it to this day. We want a savior. We realize the need for it. And that's a desire we probably all share. And that's one of the things you see that is present uh, within the New Testament as we begin to read about the time when Jesus did make his appearance. People are waiting for the Messiah. Because when they read those promises in Isaiah, they realize, hey, those things haven't happened. Because God's talking about how he's going to restore, how he's going to fix, how there's going to be this anointed one. And right now, we've got about 400 years of everything going badly for our people. And so people are waiting for the Messiah. And they've got some signs. You know, we read like some of those characteristics that are going to be present with the Messiah. They're looking for those things. And I'm just guessing, um, you know, 700 years post-Isaiah, there's probably some of the signs they like remember uh, very acutely. And some like maybe they didn't highlight those as much. Things like, Okay, conquering king. I'm guessing that's one they would have held on to, and maybe that's one they repeated every single year. Like, hey, when the Messiah comes, he's going to conquer, he's going to restore, we're getting our kingdom back. But maybe they didn't highlight as much Isaiah 53 about how he's been wounded for our transgressions and by his stripes we will be healed. And so I'm sure they're hanging on to some of those promises. And then you think about the nativity story that we would hold as we're looking back on all these promises in the Old Testament and we are collectively celebrating as an entire country in many places all over the world, we're looking at the birth of Jesus and celebrating the Messiah. Like we're saying, hey, it happened. All those promises of God, that hope you've been hanging on to for so many generations and generations and generations, we're saying it happened. So think about that time. You think about the shepherds that were out in their field and all of a sudden the angels show up and say like, hey, that thing you were taught about as a kid, it's taking place right now. You get to go see it. 
I think about the story in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus has been born and they're taking him to the temple for the first time. And you encounter two characters in the Bible, a man named Simeon and a woman named Anna. And it says both of them are uh, towards the end of their life. They're older. And it says, Simeon, this guy who's been faithfully following God, he knows that God promised him specifically like, hey, you're not going to meet your end until you see the chosen one. Till the promise that I gave the people of Israel shows up. And then Mary and Joseph roll up with baby Jesus and God reveals it to him. And he's saying, hey, my eyes have seen the promise of God. What he told to our people back then is here being fulfilled in this tiny baby. And then this prophetess Anna begins to um, celebrate and rejoice and worship because she got to see the fulfillment of the promise of God to send the Messiah, the chosen one of God to save the people from their sins. And you think about how that idea uh, was such a significant and powerful idea. It had even spread outside of the Jewish people. So, you know, we get that story in uh, Matthew chapter two of the wise men coming from the east. We don't even know where they came from, but it's pretty clear from the scriptures. They're not part of the Jewish heritage, but they know that there's been this prophecy in that area of the world that a time is coming when the savior of the world's coming in. And one of those signs is going to be that there's this star that appears. And so they're just kind of following this astrological event and saying, hey, we want to see this thing that's been prophesied for centuries and centuries that um, something is coming into the world that is so significant and so different that God's going to use this thing in such a way like uh, we're just showing up to see what's going to happen. Like this was a powerful idea. I think about as, as Jesus began to live his life and then as God um, moved him in towards that ministry phase of his life and he begins to call his disciples. You get this story in, in John chapter one as he's calling his disciples and he calls one named Andrew and says, come and follow me. And Andrew goes and finds his brother Peter and says, come, we have seen the Messiah. Like, those are not light words. Those are significant words. They're saying like, hey, that person that God promised that is going to do all these things and fix all these things and be the fulfillment of our entire people's history, we found him. You think about when Jesus encountered the woman at the well, who is a Samaritan, somebody who was kind of an outsider from the Jewish people that they had um, kind of left what God had said and intermingled with other nations. And that's why the Jews and the Samaritans don't interact, but it's still still even present in her framework because she says that in that conversation with Jesus that we know that the Messiah will come. So even people that were outside of the Jewish tradition are holding on to this idea, holding on to this promise that someone significant is going to show up and he's going to fix the mess. That even people that don't necessarily honor the Lord God as God recognize we need a savior. The idea of Messiah is very powerful. It is something we all feel deeply. We want someone to come to fix the mess. We want the chosen one. We want the one who's going to make it all right. Um, I I reference him enough that probably most of you realize that C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors. Um, And he um, just did some incredible writing to help us understand the Christian faith. But one of the things that is really significant about C.S. Lewis is he didn't actually become a believer in Jesus until later in his life. And so growing up in England, he was kind of raised in the Anglican tradition. um, But as an adult, he called himself an affable agnostic, uh, just really bought into rationalism and that like everything has an explanation. Um, And so he was a professor at Oxford 
And so one of the aspects of just um, his creativity and his artistic nature is that he did love the idea of myth. And so he loved uh, the classics. He really loved Norse mythology. And so that's what kind of um, came apart in his writings and why, why he was such a talented, both fictional author. Um, and so while he was a professor at Oxford, Oxford he had a, a very, uh, a lot of you all know this, I'm sure. He had a very close friendship with uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings. And so he had these friendships, and Tolkien was a big influence on his life because Tolkien was very much a devout Catholic who believed completely in Jesus. And so um, C.S. Lewis writes about his kind of uh, conversion story in a book called Surprised by Joy about how he had kind of wrestled with these things that he didn't really um, believe in Jesus. But he also had this really deep felt belief how myth was really important for humans. Like these stories we tell ourselves over time do kind of form this collective culture, this collective narrative. And it's important for us to like know these things and recognize the influence they've had on people. And so he, uh, he writes this recollection um, that with um, his friend Tolkien and another man named Hugo Dyson, another author who is also a, a Christian, that they would have these long walks and Conversation. So he looks back at this specific night where they were up to like 3 a.m. having these conversations. And Tolkien was the one who kind of pointed out to, to C.S. Lewis like, hey, like you love these myths about uh, the Norse gods and these different stories that kind of inform our humanity. Uh, but you think it's kind of silly when we talk about Jesus and the need for redemption and how the Savior was coming into the world. And as he kind of wrestled with these things intellectually, uh, this is what he recounted that both Tolkien and his friend Dyson explained to him. He said that Christianity is a true myth, a myth working on us in the same way as the others, but with this tremendous difference that it really happened. And that's what he would say about himself, that over the course of those relationships and conversations, he says he became the most reluctant convert to Christianity because he realized that all of those things he believed, all those things he felt about humanity, all these stories he had read over time, he reached the conclusion that they're true. And I think that's what's so interesting about this idea of Messiah. And if you think about the people at the time, they've heard it for about a thousand years, like, hey, God's going to send this figure and this person is going to fix all the things. I'm sure so many people were in the place where like, yeah, maybe that's a helpful story that we can you know, tell our children so that they don't get too discouraged when life is tough. But the reality is that was God was weaving this story into their culture that when the person of Jesus Christ made his entrance into this world, the ones who God revealed to them that this is who it is, they would, could turn and tell their fellow brothers and sisters, all the stories are true. The Messiah has come, the chosen one of God. And I think that's still so significant for us because I mean, I think we just collectively recognize, like, we love that story. We still tell that story in so many different ways. Those are the most popular books. Those are the most popular movies. Those are like every comic book, every written. We love this story. And we love it because it's true. And it's true because Jesus came, the chosen one of God, to save us from our sins, to fix the mess, and we're still hanging on to those promises because it was 2,000 years ago, and so now we are having to tell ourselves to remember, don't forget, press in, hang on to this hope. All the stories are true.
We can't lose sight of that. And so that's why I love the aspect of Christmas as we do read the stories and remember these things. But we can also kind of look around at how it's embedded in our culture and how God has woven this in, the significant thing we need. And so we can just like, we can literally look at pop culture and remember it's about Jesus. That it is Aslan returning to defeat the White Witch. It is Harry being the chosen one to defeat Lord Voldemort. It is Luke Skywalker bringing balance to the Force. It's Neo being the one to overthrow the Matrix. It's Aragorn returning as the king to Gondor. There is a reason we love these stories. It's about the Messiah. We love these stories because they aren't just stories. It's about Jesus. All the stories are true. He fulfills all of the anointing prophecies. He is the prophet who both speaks the word of God, but he is the word of God. He is the great high priest who administers the sacrifice, and he is the sacrifice. He is the king of kings whose rule and reign will never end. He is the Messiah. All the stories are true. So this Christmas, read the prophecies. Tell the story. And remember that the Savior came into the world in humility that God has given us the greatest gift of all, Jesus, the Messiah. All the stories are true. Would you pray with me?